Yes, Honest Actors is back with brand new episodes every Friday. To help me continue releasing new episodes without a sponsor, or to say thanks for your favourite old ones, click the support link in the episode description. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. It's a one-off, feeling generous, good deed for the day sort of thing. Think of it as bumping into me and buying me a drink. To find out more, click the support link. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Uh, yeah, mine's a large red. I hate those guys. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Emily Taff, and you're listening to In Anything at the Minute. Hi, my name's Jonathan Harden, and you're listening to In Anything at the Minute, the Honest Actors Podcast. Happy New Year. It's 2016, and I'm hoping that all of the great things that have been happening for both the podcast and the blog will continue into this new year. To that end, I have two pretty good bits of news to begin the year. Firstly, the Union Club has very kindly offered to support the podcast through the month of January. So thanks to them and all of their members. And secondly, the UK Blog Awards 2016 public voting opens today, the 4th of January, in which you can vote for the Honest Actors Blog in two categories. So I'll tell you a little bit more about that at the midway point. But for now, the reason we're here, episode 9, with Emily Taff, recorded at Headspace way back in 2015. Enjoy. First question, first Mm. things first, easy way in. How did you get into acting? Um, well, my granddad was in his local pub in Scaries, um, where he was so local that they now have his flat cap framed on the wall by his seat. Uh, he, after mass on a Sunday, used to put me up on the bar when I was about two and I would sing Frankie, Lady in Red and Live and Doll, none of which I remember. But I think that probably gave me a very early taste for enjoying being the centre of attention and having people clap. And then, um, and then I, I, I didn't really do anything, I didn't do any formal like drama classes or anything. Um, I was just always making things up and like in school, me and my friends wrote a play um, when I was about 11 and put it on. And then, and then when I was, th- yeah, no, can I say when I was 13, I joined the youth theatre. And, and then um, when I was in secondary school, um, I joined my local youth theatre which was brilliant, uh, the Drihid Youth Theatre in Drogheda. I loved it, I absolutely loved it. And then I left school, um, as most people did at the time, at 17, I finished my leaving certs, uh, which is too young to apply to drama schools. In England, you have to be 18. So um, my older sister had been to Trinity and I really wanted to go there, so I did the uh, Bachelor of Arts in Drama and Theatre Studies. And then while I was there, I was really um, involved in players, which is an amazing art drama society was brilliant um, and I for people who don't know though yeah. that's kind of as close as Ireland gets to something like Footlights yeah like that is that, yeah. that is one of those drama societies that people who study law 
go into and end up becoming yeah. professional actors. Most of the actors I know who went to Trinity were all, with the exception of the ones who did the acting course because they weren't allowed, everybody else um, did players. And what's brilliant um, is that basically we had our own black box theatre and we ran it. So it was, there was like, you know, show on every week, there was loads of new writing and, uh, and what's great is because you do everything. So as part of my degree and, and because I was in players, I did everything from like theatre management to sewing sets and all that kind of stuff and selling programmes and lighting, not my forte, um, and you know, and stage managing and all those kind of things. Um, but the thing I kept coming back to was acting. And so while I was at Trinity, I uh, applied to go to Lambda and I was lucky enough to get in. And I, because I, Lambda, I wanted to go to because it had a two-year postgrad because I would have done four years in Trinity. And in my naivety, I was like, well, I'm 21. I'm going to be really old. I'm going to be the oldest person there. I mean, because I didn't know any actors and I didn't know anybody who'd been to drama school. Um, a couple of people in the year above had gone, but no one, like I'd never met anybody really who'd been to drama school. Um, so I thought everybody would, else would be 18. So, um, and I actually, I, don't, I wouldn't have been able to afford to do three years. Um, so I was lucky enough to get into Lambda. Was staying in Ireland then, like a lot of people would come out of the BA and mm -hmm. the likes of Trinity and elsewhere and think, well, you know, in Dublin, close to home, I could try and do it here. Was that, was that ever an option or did you want to leave to get away? I wanted to leave, not to get away, but I sort of knew that the at the time, apart from that one course, um, which doesn't exist anymore because now there's the Lear, um, which I believe is amazing, uh, there wasn't any other training available. And I, you know, had always romanticised and idealised the London theatre scene um, and, and the training that people got. Um, and so, yeah, it was sort of... I didn't really... wasn't that I wanted to get away, although... I mean, I probably did to a certain extent and go and spread my wings. And if I hadn't gotten into drama school, I probably would have left Ireland anyway, just to go and see somewhere else and experience, and, you know, experience something else. But um, it was more that I knew that that was the place to go to get what I wanted. Um, I don't know that what, I had... What did you want then at that age? <laughs> um, uh, I wanted tools. Because I knew I had instinct. I wanted vo voice training, vocal training was probably the biggest thing. And I wanted the skills to be able to stand on a big stage. And and, and I think, it's hard, isn't it, when you look back, right? Because that's 10 years ago. Oh, God, that's 10 years ago. Um, but it's, so t it's, it's sort of hard when you look back and you go, God, what was I thinking at the time? I just knew that I wanted, yeah, I wanted a... I wanted to be a proper actor and and in my mind that's what I needed to do to go and be a proper actor. If what you wanted was tools out of that experience, mm -hmm. when you graduated two years later did you feel like you had the tools and you were the proper actor that you'd wanted to be? Uh, yes. I think uh, I was you know, every drama school changes, but I think the period in time that I was at Lambda was brilliant. Um, I felt like I was quite lucky in that I had my first job lined up before I left. So I went to the Liverpool Everyman 
Um, and I definitely had some tools. Of course, I didn't have them all. I still don't have them all. But you thought you did at that point, do you think? I thought I had enough tools. And I think you gather them as you carry on. Like every job is, you're, you know, every job you learn more, for sure. Um, and that's why I think, you know, not, drama school isn't for everybody. And I think it's equally valid to learn on the job. And I've got friends um, and people I've worked with who have been brilliant, who've just, I don't mean just, but who've, who've not gone to drama school and have acquired those skills um, as they work. But for me, I don't know, maybe it just felt like a seal of approval or it was like a validation or something that like, yeah. So you're in the Everyman, mm-hmm. that gig finishes and your whole career is laid out in front of you. Right? Yeah. The interview really, from here on in, we don't focus a lot on specific jobs because that's not really, I suppose as you've already gleaned, I imagine, that's not the purpose of the mm-hmm. interview. But what I like to do is give people a chance to say, uh, if I was to pick one thing that I've done mm-hmm. that I'm very proud of mm-hmm. and that I would like to stand for me, not for this interview, but just, you know, if you could, if that could be for you, to represent you. Is there a job that you've done that you feel, yes, I'd, yes. Like, I'd like to do more of that. I'm proud of that. I achieved something with that. Yes. Well, that's really tricky, isn't it? Because it's such a cumulative effect. So I would say The American Plan, which was a play that I did uh, two years ago now. Uh, we started in Bath. It was the British premiere of an American play by a writer called Richard Greenberg. Um, And that, that's probably the the moment where I felt like, yeah, I've... But, but, But to qualify that, that's because, I felt like that because of everything else that I'd done leading up into that. Yeah. Jobs like amazing, brilliant jobs, which I could equally name those because they were special in different ways. But I guess, I suppose that's the job that I felt like all those things came together with the part that was brilliant in a production that was very happy. And I felt like I had, I was using things that I had learned along the way. And, and I, yeah, I loved it. And it was a great part. So uh, you come out of Lambda mm-hmm. and it's a long time uh, between that and two years ago in Bath. Uh, mm-hmm. Your career's ahead of you. Does it go the way you expect it's going to go as someone who's, up to this point, done very well in the Leaving Cert, get mm. into Trinity, probably done very well in Players, get into Lambda, mm. graduate from Lambda, into a job mm. in the Liverpool, Liverpool Everyman, mm. it's not just any old theatre. Mm. Did you, I mean, were you expecting? Oh, I thought it was great. I was like, what's everyone giving out about? This, this acting malarkey is great. Easy. Easy, you know, I'll just keep doing, oh. So when does that happen? Is, is, it, is there a job after that or is it straight into, from every man into no job? It was, it was straight into every man into no job. And I had, now I look back and I go, oh, it was only six months. But at the time, I didn't know that. Um, I had an awful lot of nearly but not quite. Um, so I was often second choice for something. So I would go through the whole process and then it would go really well, and then they go, yeah, no. And that happened 
for six months. Um, and I got very worried. Um, and I remember calling my agent and being like, I really hope that you're not like losing faith. And he was probably thinking, this, this is six months. Like, what are you talking about? But at the time, you know, like I was 23 and I didn't know any better. You're very old, by the I way. I was very old. You were I very was, old. I was hobbling around London on my Zimmer frame. Um, but, you know, it's, it's funny. You can look back and sort of like mock your younger self but I guess you didn't you know you don't know if you you knew the path that was ahead of you it would all be easier wouldn't it if you knew it was going to be six months you'd go I've got six months off yeah I know I'll start that job in six months time which I have had and that's that is the best feeling because you're not working which is lovely but you know you've got something coming up and if a taxi driver asks you know are you doing anything the minute you go yeah actually well I've got something about yeah so you're kind of you buy six months of unemployment oh it's a social free pass but exactly yeah which is basically the worst part about being an actor is having to field those questions when you're not working and having to justify your existence to strangers or people who sort of know you but don't really who you're not actually going to go into like what's really happening so you have to have like a two minute soundbite that doesn't make you want to curl up and die inside um yeah I know yeah just it's good. I'm, I'm uh, yeah, just auditioning at the moment. It's just the worst. Um, so anyway, so that so that happened for a few months, and then I was again quite lucky, and I I then didn't not work for a few years. So if that's a lucky run, yeah. What's your unluckiest run? What's the longest you went without a sniff of a job? Probably that. Six months. Yeah. And you've had, have you had t- time since a month or two where you've been without work or has it been fairly solid since then? Um, last year I had a bit of a, I had a few months where I wasn't working, which was very was worrying. It, was it different? Did it feel different worrying or was it just as, if not more so worrying to be seven or eight years older and in the same boat? It's really, it's, it's different worrying. It's more worrying because you're older. And do, you think, do you think the older you get, the more worrying even shorter times get? Is that how you find it? Yeah, I think so. Because, because also, you know, you're getting to a point where you're older, so you want other things in your life. Like, you, you know, when you're 21 or 24 or whatever, all your mates are, you know, doing bar jobs and... and handing out flyers and it's kind of fine but when you're in your early 30s everyone's getting married and having babies and buying houses or flats and you're not you know and so I think when you're in your 30s or your early 30s um, for any casting directors listening um, no um, when you're in your 30s there's a more of a worry about being left behind and also that impending feeling of like oh my god what am I doing with my life because when you, because I think when you're younger, I used to do this when I was in my early twenties. I would be like, "Well, it's fine, you know, if it doesn't work out, I can just go back and do something else." Now, I could, but I don't want to start at the beginning of something again. Like it's not as easy to go back when you're, you know, thirty as it is when you're twenty-five, because I have a life now, <laughs> and I and I want to be able to do certain things and. Um, and I want to be able to have children in a few years, um, which I need to be in a certain financial situation to be able to do that. So there's, 
so you worry about things like that more, obviously, than you did when you were 25. And you know, you compare yourself to your contemporaries, don't you, and to people you were at university with, and or people that you know, and who've been doing their career for the same amount of time. Because that's the difference between being an actor and doing anything else, right? Is that it's snakes and ladders. So you can have a phone call and suddenly everything's amazing for six months and then the following six months can be terrible. So it's not like your progression in your career isn't the same as if you work in a different job. If I was a lawyer or if I worked in... I don't know, recruitment or finance or whatever. It's not necessarily, your success isn't necessarily commensurate with, your, with how hard you're working. No, there's no reward for time served either. No, no, exactly, exactly. And you don't, and, and that can be hard for your ego. And not, like it's, you know, and, it's, and I don't think it's like a, I don't think it's a dirty word to say that you want a career. Like, you know, I don't think it's, I want a career. I want to, I want to be able to, earn my living doing what I am good at and what I love, which is obviously a very fortunate position to be in. But I think sometimes you get into a place where you're like, I used, you know, you used to be when you were younger, you'd always be just terribly grateful for everything. And not that, not that I'm not grateful anymore, but I also am like, well, you know what? I'm a, I'm I'm a professional, like you say. It's a it's a profession, and I want to be able to, um, yeah, have a life. Okay, so a little interruption from me, as has become traditional, this time to tell you a little bit more about the UK Blog Awards. The Honest Actors blog is up in two categories in the company section of the awards, arts and culture and vlogger and podcast. I'd love to make the shortlist in at least one of those. And the good news is, as I said, it's a public vote, so the power is in your hands. You can vote for the Honest Actors blog by going to inanything.com and clicking on the button that appears on the top of every page. Or if you'd like to find out more before you do so, you can just go to inanything.com forward slash awards. Simples. Anyway, back to Emily. Um, just on the subject of luck then, because you, at the very start when we started talking about from, from the everyman onwards, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned that six months later you got very lucky. Mm-hmm. And whether or not that's a conscious choice of words or not, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you what you think is the role of luck in this industry. Uh, I know an actress uh, who says this brilliant phrase, which is, I'd rather be a lucky actor than a good actor. Which I think is funny. I mean, she's being funny, but I think luck is really important. But I think when when I say luck, I don't mean like I scratched a raffle card. Yeah, like I think there's some American president or something who's like, you know, that saying, very, very well-known saying, which is hard work is where opportunity meets preparation. And that's what I mean when I say luck. Do you believe in the big brick? And the notion that something can come along that will change your career forever? No. I believe in lots of little bricks. I believe that anybody, like anybody that you look at who, say in the popular media, it's overnight success. And you go, no, it's like, you know, Andrew Scott, right? Everyone's like, oh my God, where has he come from? (laughs) He's not like he's been doing amazing stuff for the last, like, 15 years. Like, there's just... No, I don't... No, I don't think so. Because it's not the X Factor. 
it's you're building a, you know I did this thing um, a couple of weeks ago and Peter Brook was there and um, uh, there were everyone else you know he was chatting in the in the green room or whatever and people were talking about people defining themselves as artists or you know whatever and he said that once he was asked to be I think the head of the Directors Guild and he really liked that because and I'm massively misquoting him um, because he viewed his job as a craft um, and you know in a very very I'm not comparing it in, in myself in any way to Peter Brook but um, I like that analogy as well because um, like I said you know the tools you acquire them and you develop them and you build on them and it's not something that happens overnight and that's kind of an insult actually to what people do because it implies that it's just easy and that all it takes is one thing and then you're off. I suppose the thing that differentiates acting from other crafts that might have guilds um, is the fact that you cannot off your own, uh, under your own steam, make mm. money as a solo actor by mm -hmm. going out in the street and doing some acting mm -hmm. or putting an ad in the local paper saying, you know, uh, actor, uh, <laughs> reasonable rates. I mean, you probably could, but it probably should. You know, 80 pounds call out and then 25 pounds <laughs> an hour after that. I My mean, God, wouldn't that be great? That's a idea. We wouldn't, should do this. Wouldn't it be great? Yeah, so, um, so given that we can't do that, what kind of things have you done between jobs to pay the bills? <laughs> Everything and anything. Because obviously, because I first did theatre and I had a massive student loan, a bank loan to pay off, whenever I wasn't working, I had to get a job. So I would finish. So what kind of? So I worked in call centres, right. which was deeply soul-destroying. Uh, I worked in um, bars. Um, uh, what else have I done? Like flyering. Um, you know. What's the worst in terms of not acting? I mean, I could ask you what your lowest point is in terms of acting, uh, but what's your lowest point in terms of not acting? Um, in terms, have you ever on that one day or one afternoon when you've been flyering or whatever it is you've been doing, and you've thought? I did really well on my leaving sword, you know. <laughs> um, when I worked at this call centre, uh, I remember going in one day and crying in the lift on the way up um, because it was so depressing. And that was, that was a really low moment. Crying on the way in to work. Yeah, not even on the crying way Crying on the way out is different. <laughs> it, was, it, was the, uh, it was the prospect of selling which magazine to poor unsuspecting people for eight hours um, that was that was pretty crappy I would say um, being, there's been a lot <laughs> um, because you know there just is like it's an it's an emotional roller coaster so you work in a call center lots yeah. of other actors yeah which is sort of the worst as well. do you look around the room and think I don't want to be like one of these yes. guys absolutely do you think everybody does that uh, probably, and if they don't, then they should probably work. Like what? Like no one's there to make the worst is when you speak to someone. You're like, oh yeah, and they're like, yeah, I've been here for ten years, and you just think, oh my god, that's the ghost of Christmas future. If hmm. you were to give up acting, if yes. Well, let's just ask first things first. Have you ever, even momentarily, considered it yes. realistically? Yes. For are we talking minutes, hours, days, weeks, months? 
Days. Occasional days. Does anything specifically prompt that? I think the lack of control. So, so you know, you can, like I, we were saying before, you can work really hard and do really good work and things might not just go your way and there's nothing you can do to control that. That I find very difficult as a control freak. Like I think that's where temperamentally I'm unsuited to the profession is because I'm not super chilled out and can just kind of go, yeah, well, you know, when it happens, it happens. I like making things happen as a person. Um, you know, I like doing, I'm a doer. And once you go into an audition and do your best, that's all you can do. But that feeling doesn't leave you of wanting to be able to do something about it. Um, so yeah, that, that would prompt me. If you were to give up then, um, how did you know I was going to say that? <laughs> if you were to I'd give like, up. I'd be Mystic Meg, that's what I would do. If you were to give up, do you know, is there something you have a very clear idea of that you could do outside of? No. No. It's quite often actors say to me, I do this because I can't do anything else. I mean, I, yeah. th then I meet people who say, and it's quite common, it's as common as the other, who say, you know, actually I was really good at school. As, as common as it is to meet actors who quite often say, I was terrible at, I even failed my GCSE drama, said Billy Carter. <laughs> you know, he couldn't even pass his drama, right? Yeah. Um, there must have been, as you say, well, as you say, it gets more difficult as you get older, but there must have been infinite possibility for 18 year olds. Yeah. But, but I think that would be, I mean, I always joke about like, oh, I like, I would, in my head, I'd like to do so many different things that that's why being an actor is great because I get to pretend to do all of them. I mean, I sometimes think, you know, I'd love to just, nothing that, nothing, I'd love to be a writer, you know, I'd love to go off and write a novel or, but I don't have the talent for that. Um, I, no, actually, you know what, the only other things I can think of are no less precarious than being an actor. Oh yeah, talk to me. So in which case, why not just keep doing this? Yeah. Every it's, time I've thought of doing something else, it's like, okay, photographer, that's not exactly yeah. right, you know. Uh, okay, uh, whatever. It, it's just it, my wife, a, a writer, actor, writer. Why can't we be actor stroke barrister? Yeah. If you're going to be actor stroke anything, be actor stroke dentist. Yeah. You know? <laughs> All that taken into account then, um, you must keep doing it for some reason. Yeah, because if the you, good days are so much better than the bad days. That's what I was going to ask. So. What makes the good days good? Getting to do it. Um, the excitement. Everything that makes the bad days bad is what makes the good days good. So I'm going to tell you what makes the bad days bad so far mm -hmm. on the basis of what you said. Lack of control. Okay, so the flip side of that is I can get a phone call and something amazing is going to happen and I'm going to fly off somewhere and do something brilliant. Uh, lack of trajectory of career progression. Yeah, but what is that anyway? <laughs> you <laughs> the, know, like that's that's the headspace. This is you're basically in. my no, but yeah. this is like my internal my internal no, of argument. Course. That's the headspace you're in. Yeah. Whenever you get the job, you're like, oh, you totally forget. Yeah. Oh yeah. When I don't, when I'm not worrying about all those like life things, 
you know, when you when you forget about those things, there's nothing, you know, there's so much about what we do that is incredible. What if I was to, you know, um, do the classic reveal, this is a surprise meeting, I've got you here mm -hmm. under false, actually what I'm here to do is offer you the job of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. At this moment, what's your ideal project? Okay. Do you know, actually, if I can start, I would love to be in something that was very um, women heavy. You know, like a, like a, that tells, you know, tells the story of, of women. I, it's, I, I, I don't know, is it getting older or whatever, but I, I'm getting more and more interested in things like um, where, you know, women's stories that aren't about them ending up with a man. So if you, I don't know if you've seen Frances Ha, but that's an amazing, possibly the most feminist film I've ever seen. So something like that. Um, but not that, because they've done it. Yeah. Francis who? Um, what else? God, there's so much stuff. There's loads of great stuff. All so, different. So just, I mean, just because it's come up a few times already, mm -hmm. um, and usually it's because I brought it up, and you're <laughs> one of the few that actually volunteered it. The, the issues around being a woman, yeah. age 30-ish, versus being a man, Mm. of a similar age. Obviously, you, can, you don't know what it's like to be a man, but you've observed, I imagine, male contemporaries. I have observed. Yeah. With great interest, I imagine, um, career-wise. Mm -hmm. uh, and otherwise. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> and, you should, and you're free to. Yeah. Um, but do you think it's changing for women? It's still um, unfairly weighted. Like, I think it worries me as a woman that and I noticed it very much so that you know if I was a if I was a a white man getting older the field gets wider and the, and the parts get more interesting and that's what I've I'm basically betting my career on it yeah but I know I know lots of of boy actors who are like well you know you know or, or men who were like well I didn't really work much until I was 40 you never meet a successful older female actress and there is that fear definitely that you have to be part of a, of a certain um, gang by a certain age or it's game over. Because, because the parts for women gets, you know, there's, there's more women competing for fewer parts always, but that just gets worse the older you get. So unless you're on those lists by the time you're 40, then no one's going to know who you are because because it, because people do that thing that's really natural and I do it myself you know if I'm talking to someone who's who's working on something I'm like oh what about this actor or this actress and I always name people I've seen in something recently so you always naturally go to people who are who are working because they're at the front of your mind you don't think I'll tell you who I haven't seen in yeah. a long time <laughs> yeah. do you know what I'd love to see again that actress who did something 12 years ago. And it's hard, and it's harder for girls because you, and I don't want to get into a moan fest about it, but you know, if your wife had a baby, it doesn't affect what you can do for work. Not really. You no. don't have to carry a bump around for, okay, so say it's visible for four or five months. As a, it's difficult for working women in general, I think, but as an actress where your body is kind of important I don't mean just like how but like literally the fact that you have are carrying a baby will mean that you might not work for 
you know, a while because you can't... I mean, my dream is to do a series and then have a baby in the gap. <laughs> like Perfectly timed. And people do. I've heard tell of such people. But you, but, you know, these are all things that I have conversations with my male actor friends and they don't have to consider it. Uh, just before you go, if you could go back to that 23-year-old mm-hmm. that uh, came out of a very old, elderly 23 Elderly, very uh, old. came out of uh, Lambda way back when, way back in the days. Yeah. Um, and you could offer that uh, 23-year-old full of optimism and hope and, and desire for a great career. Mm-hmm. Any advice to help her get there or to help her shortcut some of the pain or some of the anxiety that I'm sure uh, even the most successful careers bring, what might that advice be? It would be to really enjoy the good moments and relish them because they'll be what sustain you through the really bad moments. Bonus question. Mm-hmm. Are you in anything at the minute? <laughs> well, I'm filming War and Peace. It's not a bad answer, really. Is it's not it? a bad answer. You'll see me lurking. I lurk. I do a lot of lurking with a tray. And that's it for another episode. Uh, thanks on this occasion. Go to Headspace on Hatton Garden for once again giving me the use of one of their very nice spaces in which to record this interview. Quite a few of them wouldn't have happened without the generosity of Headspace, which is a commercial organisation and has no particular need uh, to give space for free to something like the Honest Actors podcast. So thanks to Johnny and Andy and all the team at Headspace. Thanks again to the Union Club, who I said before, we're very lucky to have supporting the podcast in January. You can find out more about the Union Club and everything it does at unionclub.co.uk. Before I go, just one more reminder, please vote for the Honest Actors blog in the UK Blog Awards 2016. To do that, go to the website www.inanything.com, click on the Vote Now button that appears at the top of every single page. Or like I said earlier, if you want more information, go to inanything.com forward slash awards. Do it now. Thank you. Once again from me, thanks for listening. Speak to you soon. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 